years, we have had the privilege to uh, be part of the ministry in the Czech Republic through a couple of ministries or uh, missionaries that we support, both the Moorheads and uh, and the Roberts have been part of our missionary uh, outreach to the world uh, for several years now, and of course, uh, we've had the opportunity to uh, interact with them and uh, help them publish at least one book in the Czech uh, language for the people of the Czech Republic. Uh, as many of you know uh, from Lance and both Jonathan being here in the past, the Czech Republic is an atheist nation, really. And uh, Lance has spent nearly 20 years there uh, really pounding the ground of uh, atheism uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Czech people. And uh, the Lord has seen fit to uh, advance that ministry and done amazing things. Well, they are transitioning back to the United States uh, after 20, nearly 20 years in the Czech Republic. And so Lance wanted to come and just uh, share with the church all that's taken place in the ministry there and just really uh, extend a great thankfulness to us uh, for how we have partnered with them. And so Lance is going to speak to us this morning, uh, both giving somewhat of a history of what's taken place there, but also from the Word of God on on uh, perspectives on missions and these kinds of things. And so it's a great privilege for us. I mean, I've known Lance for 20 plus years. I, I knew him before he knew his sweet wife, who is his better half, I might add. And she's here with uh, two, of their, two of their children, the two girls. And so uh, it's great to have you guys. Lance, why don't you come up and uh, minister the Word of God to us this morning. Thank you, Terry. It's great to be with you all this morning. Uh, in the midst of all this COVID crisis, um, I never use a PowerPoint, so uh, especially for Sunday morning, but because of the nature of our ability to meet and the, the amount of services you're able to have and stuff at this moment, so I kind of have a, a combination of like a message and a ministry presentation. So I haven't done this uh, really uh, on a regular basis or before. But uh, this is kind of uh, our, basically our final presentation of what God has done in the Czech Republic. And I was just looking in uh, Acts, because I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 13. We're going to look at some verses there in a minute. But in verse 25 of chapter 12, well, actually verse 24, it says, But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. And so basically, having fulfilled the mission that God that we were sent to do and that God had, had entrusted to us, I want to share with you what He's done. And uh, Terry, Terry mentioned that my wife and two daughters are here, but this is our whole family uh, on the screen. My two sons are in Virginia right now. Uh, they, my son just got a new job, so he wasn't able to come. So my other son stood, stayed back with him. But this, so this morning, I just want to share with you what God has done in the Czech Republic uh, through our almost 20 years of ministry. And you've been with us uh, through many of those years. I don't know exactly how many, but we're so thankful for how you've prayed for us and you've supported us. You sent Terry to come visit us and uh, encourage us when we've been here. And so it's a privilege just to share with you what God has done. And and even though I don't have a full-on normal Sunday morning sermon, I believe what we're going to do this morning has biblical precedent. And that's why I wanted you to turn in, in the book of Acts. And uh, I have a whole message on uh, the local church's involvement in world missions. But uh, 
And I have four main points that we see in Acts 13 and 14 where we see the local church's involvement in world missions. But the first one we find at the beginning of chapter 13, and that's after Paul had returned and Barnabas had returned from their mission, as we saw at the end of uh, chapter 12. They had already been out preaching the Word of God. They had already been about ministering God's Word. And so, uh, as we look to chapter 13, which is known as, you know, the first missionaries being sent out uh, to be preachers of the gospel, well, it wasn't new for Paul. Paul had already been a minister of the gospel. And we see here at the beginning of Acts chapter 13 that, that the Spirit had been not only using them and, and preaching through them, but he had called them now to a new work. They finished the mission that, that the Spirit had already given them. We see earlier... Uh, we see in chapter 12 and in the preceding verses, but here in chapter 13, we see them being sent out again, but for a, for a long ter- longer term mission. So in chapter 13, it says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that were there prophets and teachers. So we see uh, Barnabas and Simeon, who is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, which we know later is Paul in the book of Acts, but he was known at Saul at this time. And so there was these men who were prophets and teachers in the church who was God was using to lay the foundation. As we see spoken about in Ephesians 2, that God, um, Christ being the chief cornerstone, but he used apostles and uh, prophets to lay the foundation of the church. Well, that's what uh, Saul, well, we know as Paul was out doing with Barnabas. But then look in verse 2, it says, while they were ministering, to the Lord in fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so, before Paul and uh, Saul and Barnabas were sent out to preach the Word of God, to be ministers of the Word of God, they were already doing the ministry. They were already doing the work of the ministry. Uh, they were men who, were, who had already been trained and prepared and were and proven themselves to be faithful. And the Holy Spirit set apart these men. He called these men to the work that he had uh, destined for them to do. And so when the, mission, when, the church, when the local church thinks about doing world missions, you know, we want to identify those men that God is already using, who is already faithful, who's already been equipped, who's already been trained uh, to go out and take the gospel uh, a lot of churches, you know, the main qualification to be a missionary is that you have to be willing to go. It's like, oh, brother, you're willing, then we're ready to send you. <laughs> but that's not what took place in, in Acts, in Antioch, here in the church in Antioch. But they, uh, they didn't send out just those able bodies who were, who were willing, but they, they sent out those who the Holy Spirit had called and had uh, been already working through. Uh, they sent out the cream of the crop. If you look, these are the leaders of the church. And so the church in Antioch didn't send out their third-string quarter, quarterback, their third-string players. They sent out their MVP. They sent out their first-string quarterback, their best preacher, which is the Apostle Paul, which known, we know as Apostle Paul here, he's called Saul. And so he sent out Saul and Barnabas to take the gospel to where it had not yet been preached. And we know that's the case because Paul said in Romans he didn't want to uh, to go where somebody had already been preaching. He wanted to take the gospel to where Christ had not been proclaimed. And so, first of all, we see here that the, the, that the Holy Spirit sent men apart, set apart men who were faithful, who were trained. Terry just read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, that Paul t- you know, invested in Timothy, then Timothy was to invest in faithful men, and those faithful men are to teach others also. And so, 
uh, Paul was already in that process, <coughs> and the Lord uh, called him uh, to go. And that's the second involvement we see of the local church in missions in Acts chapter 13, is that the missionary is sent out. Look at verse 3. It says, Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so this is significant because we see in, in, the, in this passage here that there are two levels of involvement. There is the goer and there's the sender. Now, nobody is to go without being sent. Uh, in fact, the word missionary uh, is, a, is the word we use in English that actually is derived from the Latin word, which is to send. Uh, and historically, the word missionary has been used to describe those who are sent across geographical and cultural boundaries for the purpose of preaching Christ where he is not yet known. Now, a lot of times, uh, churches refer to nationals. They might support a national pastor somewhere, and they're like, well, there are missionaries. Well, they're not really missionaries. They're pastors in their hometown, in their home church, maybe. Uh, a missionary is one who is sent out, like Paul Saul and Barnabas here, and they've been sent apart and sent out by a, a local church. And Saul and Barnabas were here sent by the church in Antioch. Uh, one of the greatest tragedies on the mission field is there's a lot of people out there who are self-appointed, they're self-sent, and they call themselves missionaries. And I got to see some of this firsthand. We had Paul Washer over in Czech Republic two years ago. And I was kind of—I was supposed to be like his bodyguard because he's really sick, and they wanted a limited amount of times that he preaches and he's around people, so he'd get proper rest. And two two weeks later, he actually had a massive heart attack, so he was re he was really sick. And so, one of the things that was surprising was how many young people would come up, and they'd say they're missionaries. And he'd say, oh, "Really? So, what church were you sent from?" Well, I wasn't really sent by my church. Well, so your elders didn't like identify you as, as somebody called and gifted and prepared and, and sent you out here to the Czech Republic? Well, now I don't, I don't really know my elders. They, they don't really know who I am. Oh, well, what about the church where you're serving at now? Are you under the authority of the elders in the church here in Czech Republic and uh, you, you know, have accountability? Well, no, I, I don't really speak the language, so I don't really have a relationship with the elders. Well, what about you spiritually? How are you, um, you, know, how are you doing uh, understanding the sermons and stuff? Well, I don't understand the sermons. And so... He said, well, you know what you need to do? You need to go back and you need to, thank you. He said, you need to go back and you need to be trained. You need to be discipled and biblically sent out by the elders of your local church. And why did he say that to these people? Because that is the biblical precedent. That is what we see in scripture. Nobody is to go who has not been sent and who has not uh, already proven themselves to be biblically qualified, elder qualified, uh, and to be sent out as a preacher of the gospel. One, another great tragedy we see on the mission field is that most missionaries are not preachers. And you say, well, how can that be? I'm like, I don't know. But if you look at Scripture, who did the local church send out? They sent out preachers. So we've been in the Czech Republic. Uh, this was our 20th year of ministry. We won't finish because we're here now. But uh, we have seen so many people come and go on the mission field. We've seen so many people come to work with youth and to do English teaching and to, to do camps and uh, radio and all kinds of things, and I'm not saying, and, and those are, things are all great and helpful and useful and needed, but most of them aren't preachers. Uh, I can count on one hand. I might make it to the second hand. I'm not sure of how many missionaries I know that actually preach in the Czech language. Very few. 
And so a lot of Czechs, they'll say, well, you preach in the Czech language. I haven't met an American yet who can speak the language very well, much less preach in the language. Well, how can you be effective in, in reaching people and discipling people if you cannot speak to them in, your own lang- in their own language? And I know for myself, like when we worship on Sunday and we sing Czech songs, you know, we've been there for many years. You know, now they have more meaning to me, but it's not like singing in your mother tongue. Uh, you know, we, were, we have two sending churches, Grace Church in California, where Terry and I were in seminary and a church in Roanoke, Virginia. And Grace Church out there, they have missionary conferences every so often, and they bring all the missionaries in. And I remember the first time we had one, you know, we had tears coming down our eyes. Other missionaries had tears because they're like, we get to sing in our own mother tongue. You know, it just has a much deeper meaning. And so if you're going to try to disciple people and teach people the Word of God, you know, you can teach in English with a translator. Uh, But you can't minister to people unless you're striking at their heart, using the Word of God in their own language and speaking to them in their own language. That's why it's essential that missionaries speak the language. But, uh, but we need to be, the church must be sending out missionaries who are primarily preachers. You know, so all these other uh, ways of serving on the mission field are needed. I would say those are like the deacon type uh, missionaries. You know, their support level, their support staff or support missionaries to the preachers that are primarily to be sent out by the church. Why should they primarily be preachers? Because Jesus said we're to make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. So the Great Commission is more about than just preaching the gospel, but it's teaching people to be obedient to Scripture. Teaching people to understand the Word of God and to live out the Word of God. Uh, and so when we think about missions, we need to recognize that we are to be about training up and sending out. You know, it's been said the true greatness of a church is not how many it seats, but how many it sends. And you don't send unless you're training up, constantly training up men and women in the Word of God. And so uh, and when we think about missions, we need to think about not only training and supporting, but sending. A third area... Uh, of, of missions in the local church is not necessarily here in this passage, but uh, the missionary is supplied or the missionary is supported. When you look at uh, the book of Philippians, uh, Paul was in Philippi. He helped plant the church in Philippi. And we see that after he left there, that the church continued to support his work. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul writing to them said, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. And I am amply supplied. Why? Because he received from them. He says, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so he thanks them and he rejoices in this supply that he had received from them. And when we look in Scripture, uh, we see that there are several levels of support. In fact, Lou Priolo in his book on uh, on sending. He said there's uh, several areas of support we find in Scripture. We see there's financial support, there's moral support, there's logistical support, there's prayer support, there's communication support. Uh, there's many ways in which uh, missionaries need to be supported in order to be sustained on the mission field. And you've been faithful in helping to sustain us. And we're very thankful for your uh, partnership in the gospel in Czech Republic and how you have encouraged us and uh, supported us in a lot of these different ways. But that is, a, that is a critical part of missions. For Paul to be successful, 
He needed to be sustained on the mission field. And yes, we know that he was involved in tent making and things, but he also received support and encouragement from local churches. So when we think about missions as a local church, it's not only about identifying those that the Spirit has called and sending them out, but also sustaining them while they're out to do the mission that God has called them to. And then, uh, the next area of involvement of the local church in missions is that the missionary is sent back. And this is also a work of the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of reasons why missionaries are sent back, some for a period of time, which we normally call furlough, which we see actually in, this, in, in Acts chapter 14. But there's very, you know, Paul was returned to Antioch several times as we saw at the end of chapter 12. Now we see here in chapter 14, after they were officially sent out as missionaries in chapter 13, when they laid hands on them and sent them out. <clears throat> and then we move on to chapter 14, verse 26 and 28. I have the passage here. It says, And from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. So after they fin- finished the mission, the period of time, and, and finished the work that God had given them, they came back. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, that's very significant, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. That's what we typically call furlough. He spent a long time. A missionary comes back to be recharged, to report, to give an update. Uh, but we see precedence here in the fact that the missionaries came back and they gave a report. Unfortunately, a lot of times when missionaries come back, uh, they don't give much of a report. Uh, I've been to churches where they've, I've been told, you have two minutes to pray. And as part of your, the prayer before the sermon, if you would like to give a ministry update, you can. And I didn't know whether I should laugh or cry. Uh, because what do you say in two minutes? How do you pray and present your ministry in two minutes? Um, we have some friends that they were, they were on furlough a couple years ago. They'd been back for six months, a church of about 800 people. And they, and they emailed me and they said, Lance, can we Skype with you? We need, we need to talk to you. We need, we need your, some counsel. And I had no idea what the subject was going to be. And so I said, sure. So we arranged a time and we, we met, connected together on Skype. And they told me, Lance, we've been here for six months. We leave in two weeks. And our church hasn't asked us to share about our ministry yet. We haven't even met with our elders to debrief about what God has d- done in our ministry. Well, I said, well, you need to talk. What should we do? I said, well, you should talk to your church leaders. And, and so they did. And so the missions pastor arranged for them to share their ministry on a Sunday afternoon before the evening service in the vestibule. And they were devastated. Afterwards, they called me and they said, Lance, we're devastated out of a church of 800, only 16 to 20 people showed up. So the church obviously didn't take seriously their ministry or them being there or what God is doing. But if you look at this passage, it says to report what? How great they are? What sacrifices they've made? You know, all the victories in their life? No, it's to report all things that God had done. And if churches don't give missionaries an opportunity to share what God has done, they're, they're really robbing themselves of a blessing. And we see here that they gave a detailed report because it says reported all things that God had done. And that takes time. Uh, yeah, I can stand here in two minutes and say, you know, in the last year we've you know, had people baptized and 
joined the church or saved or whatever, but uh, the church here heard all that Paul and Bar- Saul and Barnabas had done in their first missionary journey, which was about a year and a half to two year mission. And so, of course, a lot of things took place. They went to a lot of cities. They preached the gospel in a lot of places. They had a lot to report. And so that would take time. So they gathered the entire church together. But unfortunately, a lot of times, missionaries are given a few minutes on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. Uh, one of the, uh, you know, where there's maybe 25 people present out of 200. And so most people in the church are in the, completely in the dark about what the missionary is doing because they don't know. They don't show up to, to hear the, to the report to hear what God has done, but yet they send money and they send, you know, maybe a short-term missions team. Uh, but it's a tragedy because if they don't know what the missionary is doing, then they're not going to be praying for what the missionary has been sent to do. Uh, and we could, go, we could go deeply into some of these things, but uh, this morning, because it's the sake of time, we won't. And so uh, it was very discouraging for this family and a lot of missionaries come back and are greatly discouraged. They, they can't wait to get back because they're, they're discouraged by the lack of interest in their ministry. They, so they'd rather just get back and do the work of the ministry. Um, I had one church tell me, uh, they sent, a, they sent a, uh, an email to me and all the missionaries in the church a few years ago, and they said, you know, we have too many missionaries. Please only come once every eight years. <laughs> and... Uh, I didn't respond, but I really wanted to, and I still want to, but, and maybe I will one day, but uh, you have too many missionaries. If, you have, if you're only to come once every eight years, that means you might see my kids once in their lifetime, you know, if, if you're this, one of the supporting churches. And so uh, one of the things that missionaries need to do is have a manageable number of missionaries. Maybe churches need to, to minimize the number of missionaries they have so they are aware of what's going on and they can be more actively in, engaged in their ministry. Uh, but a church that minimizes the missions report, that minimizes the work that God is doing through those people who He's already set apart, as we saw in Acts 13, He's already sent out. We should want to know what God is doing. We should want to know what God is doing through those people and how He's using them. And it was a big deal here in Acts because it said that the whole church gathered together and they reported in detail all that the Lord had done and how He even opened doors of the gospel to the Gentiles. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of praise. And it was a time of accountability. And so I just have eight points, and you can add to this. These are just things that quickly came to my mind about why it's important for churches to know and, and what the missionary has done, why it's important to know what God has done through them, what God has called them to do and sent them out to do, and to hear report like we see in Acts 14 of what God has done. Uh, first of all, because it glorifies God by the missionary sharing of what God has done in the lives of people. We share the, what God has done in the lives of people. When a, when a church fails to stay informed of what God is doing, uh, then it robs God to, an, of an opportunity in that local church to receive the glory for what He's done. And it robs the church of an opportunity to give God praise for what He's done and express thanksgiving to one another and to those who He sent. And so, and if you don't, know what God has done, then you can't glorify Him. You can't celebrate. You can't praise Him. And so it's a tragedy when churches fail to stay informed of what God is doing through those they've sent. Second of all, it reminds us of God's faithfulness. When we stay informed of what God has done and what He's doing, it reminds us of God's faithfulness. 
Uh, and a congregation that doesn't stay informed robs themselves of seeing God's faithfulness and they rob themselves of an opportunity to see how God has answered their prayers as they've prayed for the missionary, they prayed for the salvation of the lost, they prayed for disciples to be made in that country. Thirdly, uh, the benefit, another benefit of knowing what God has done is it fuels our zeal and commitment to pray for our missionaries and to pray for the work that God is doing around the world because God is at work. And when a church fails to stay informed of, of the work that God has done, then it really strikes a fatal blow to their, to, the, um, to their zeal and their commitment to pray for those missionaries. You know, out of sight, out of mind, right? Fourthly, uh, a benefit, another benefit to knowing what God has done is it keeps us engaged in supporting and sustaining the, sustaining the workers that have been sent. So a church that fails to stay informed, uh, fails to know what the needs are of its missionaries, um, and fails to properly sustain them in the work that God has sent them to do. So we need to be informed so we can better be involved. Maybe you need to send a missions team. Maybe they need help with evangelism. Uh, maybe you need to send somebody else to partner with them. They need a partner in their ministry. Or it could be a whole list of reasons why, uh, of, thing, of things that they need. Maybe their family needs some support. Maybe they need marital counseling. There could be so many things. And if we fail to, fail to stay informed and to, to, to sustain them in their ministry, then we're really failing at the work that God has uh, called them to do. And, um, and so it, it's vital. And another uh, benefit of knowing what God has done, number five, is it encourages those who are laying down their lives for the gospel. It encourages the missionaries to know that there are people that are actually interested. Uh, because if they're interested, that means they're probably praying for you. They're probably keeping you in mind. I can't count how many times I've come back to people that I don't even know. I pray for you every day. We pray for you every week in our, in our, in our family. I mean, that, that's stunning to me that people literally pray for me every day. And it's encouraging to the missionary to, to know that, uh, you know, there are people back holding the rope while they go down into the mine, to use the old missionary's uh, illustration. So staying informed, as we see in Scripture, is a, is a massive role of the local church, uh, and it has a lot of implications. Uh, number, another, another reason why it's important for the church to stay informed is because it keeps the mission of the church on our hearts and minds. It keeps the mission of the church in front of us as a local body. It reminds us that, hey, this is what we're to be about, making disciples of all nations. Not just of those in our community, but places in the world where the gospel has yet to go forth. Number seven, it reminds us that God is at work around the world. God isn't just at work in, in our lives and people in our community, but He's, in, he's, in, he's at work in places that we've never been and we can never imagine. Uh, and it shows us the greatness of God. It helps us to have a, a global perspective of how God is at work and of His character and of His attributes. And lastly, it fuels our engagement in the work of world missions. So there's a lot, and you could add to these, but there's a lot of reasons why it's necessary for us to, to hear reports of what God has done through our missionaries around the world. And we find biblical precedents for this in Acts chapter 14. And so basically, as we come to the conclusion of our missionary work, uh, I wanted to present to you what God has done in the last 19 and a half years or so in the Czech Republic. Um, and we do this because we want to give God glory, not to 
receive any kind of praise for us because what has been accomplished has been 100% accomplished by the preaching of God's Word. And God is worthy. Uh, His works are worthy enough to be proclaimed in a, morning, in a gathering like we have this morning to hear of what He's done. And so this morning I want to exalt the work of God in the Czech Republic. We were called and sent to the most atheistic country in the Czech Republic. And we went out as a very young couple. People will ask, what happened to me? Because my wife looks the same. <laughs> uh, I don't really know. But uh, these were our two youngest children. Our daughter, Kayla, who's sitting here. And uh, our son, who's uh, number two. He was six months old. She was a year and a half old, or two years old, when we moved to the Czech Republic. And we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. We, we thought we were going there to plant a church in a town of about 15,000 people and to start a uh, help start a church-based Bible institute from the church that we were going to plant this church uh, through. Uh, but God had much different plans, uh, plans that we could have never imagined. Uh, but when we went, uh, we were... Well, I'll get ahead of myself here. Let me go back. But uh, So we were, we were sent to plant a, a church through a... Um, to another church, because we believe that churches plant churches. You know, just not, you know, we just didn't go out as rogue missionaries or you know, going out to fulfill some mission that we had imagined in our minds, but to partner with a local church. And then from there, after our two years of language study, to plant a church in a town where there was no biblical church. And people say, well, why did you go to the Czech Republic? Well, we ended up going to the Czech Republic because, uh, first of all, when I was in college, I believe that God called me to, to take the gospel to where it had not been. And so my desire was to go to an unreached people group. But while I was in, uh, that means a place where there's no church, there's no Christian, there's no Bible, there's no radio, there's no anything. So in my mind, that was like the jungle or something. Uh, but when I was in seminary, I never came across a play, place like that or, uh, or a situation like that. But there was a missionary in Czech Republic doing church planning. And he was the only missionary I knew who was doing church planning and asking for help to plant churches. And I believe when we look at Acts, when we look at missions in, in the New Testament, it was about preaching the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches. And so Sandy had been there on a mission trip to do like an ESL, uh, English outreach type of a camp. One of my best friends from seminary had been there, and he was a short-term missions coordinator. And he said, hey, Lance, we're thinking about going there. And we talked about serving together on a mission field. And he said, why don't you go check out the Czech Republic? And, uh, <clears throat> and so I did. And when I got there, I was shocked. Because I didn't know that there was a place like this in Europe. In my mind, you know, Europe had the Reformation. They had John Huss and Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli and Spurgeon and whoever your favorite Reform church church historian is or pastor or whatever. You know, I thought they had all that. So what do they need missionaries for? When I got there, I learned that the Czech Republic was considered the most atheistic country in the world. 70% of the people professed to be atheists. And we would drive through literally town after town, no known church, no biblical, no church whatsoever, no known believers, no evangelical witness. And I was shocked. I didn't know a place like that existed in Europe. And so about six months after I got back, some of the Czechs came uh, to the States with a missionary and they spent about a week with us. And the more we talked to them, I told my wife, it's a desperate situation over there. I mean, they, they need help. And so we just believed that God was leading us to the, to the Czech Republic. And, and so when we went... Our mission was this, Psalm 96, verse 3 and 4, to declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples, for the Lord is great 
and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. That was our mission. That's what we were going for, was to declare God's glory and to make disciples. And it wasn't any more grandiose than that. We didn't go thinking we're going to change the entire Czech Republic or or have some massive ministry. Uh, And so we went to a town called Klodno, which is just west of Prague, the capital city. There's a little... And uh, a lot of people don't know where the Czech Republic is, so I always start out with a map of Europe, and then you can see the Czech Republic is right in the heart of Europe. And uh, in this picture, you can see the little arrow there pointing on Klodno, which is just west of Prague, the capital city. And, and so that's where we started out. And uh, three months after we got there, three or four months after we got there, the missionary said, Lance, we should leave this church uh, because the pastor had been saying in his messages that I think this is an error in the scriptures. I think, you know, and, uh, and he said it a couple times, and we were witnesses of it because people were translating for us. I remember one Sunday school class, he said, do you think this is a parallel situation in the, in the Bible or an error in scripture? And all the church people said, well, we think it's a parallel situation. And he said, well, I'm not so sure about that. And, and then there was immorality and things in the eldership and the, and the missionaries like, Lance, if we're, we're going to plant another church, then, then we have to leave this church because there's too many problems and then it'll be at least another 10 years before we can even think about planting a church. And so our, our family, his family, another Czech family and a single guy up there on the left, we launched out on a church plant. And that was back in... Uh, 2000, end of 2001, beginning of 2002. Well, about three or four months after that, we got notification that uh, he had some challenges back home in the States and ended up going with a new missions board and a new miss- sending church. And, and we, we were forced to separate. And we were devastated because we went there to learn and to serve under this missionary. And the problems that he was dealing with had nothing to do with him, nothing to do with his character, nothing to do with our relationship. But things back in the States. But my, it was just after nine, shortly after 9-11 where my wife's mother got saved, her sister got saved, her brother got saved. They were all Roman Catholics when we went to the field. And, uh, and so uh, he didn't want to continue to work with us if we stayed with our church where her family was starting to go, to Grace Church. And, and so, and the, and the church thought that we should start out, launch out on a new church plan. It was a really complicated situation. And by the way, all those people and all that stuff has been reconciled since then. But at this point, we were forced to launch out across the country. And so we were devastated. Sandy had a miscarriage at that time, and I think it was because of a lot of stress we went to. Uh, so we moved across the country to a place called Pribor. And you see the blue arrow. And that's the, that was the birthplace of Sigmund Freud. And I actually wanted to buy his house because it was for sale, his birth house, and to have it for our church plant. But the city ended up buying it. And so we started our church plant down the road. Uh, And we were there for four years, and that was the four most difficult years of our entire life. And we were only there a few weeks before problems started. And uh, it got so bad at the end because we uh, we were there by ourselves. And uh, there was a missionary about a half hour north where you see Ostrava, just north of that arrow. That was the third largest city, and so we would meet every, every other month, and it was like a dumping session. We would just share with war stories with them and all the things we were going through. And I remember if it would be like seven to ten days where it was like peace, quiet in the church, I told Sandy, I'm nervous, what's next? Because it's been calm for too long. I'm not kidding you. And, uh, and it got so intense at the end, I told the missionary, can we meet every week? Because I need somebody to pray with, somebody to talk to. 
And uh, anyways, our ministry ended there on my last Sunday because they rose up during my sermon. I never finished my sermon that day. I was preaching on the purpose of the soldier and Ephesians chapter 6. And so uh, anyways, we ended up having to leave there. But this was the church that God allowed us to, to plant in that town. And by the grace of God, when they found out we're transitioning out of Czech Republic, they asked us to come in, uh, two months ago in July uh, to preach again. And so I went and I preached. And we reacquainted ourselves with those people. And some of those people later called us and said they repented and things. But uh, we, were, we were glad to go back there a few weeks ago. Uh, now, this is a picture from 15 years ago when we were there. But uh, we were able to go back and, and see those people again. And so it was a really sweet time. But it was just a very difficult time. There were some difficult people in the church who are no longer in that church. But they really uh, caused a lot of challenges for us. And so... From there, we moved to the center of the country, where you see the green arrow, a town called Pelzimo, as you can see it up, written at the top. Uh, so he sent us to these places it's really hard for Americans to pronounce. And so after Kolodno, it got really difficult to tell people how to say, because that little R with a mark above it is a sound that no other language has. And, and the, uh, one of the previous Czech presidents couldn't even pronounce that letter. But the town of Pelzimo, the Baptist president at that time, asked us to go there. His son was trying to start a Bible school, and he asked if I would come teach in the Bible school and, and help plant a church in that town. And so we went there, um, and about six months later, they asked, they didn't want us to stay. Uh, they were trying to get money out of us. We were trying to pu publish the MacArthur uh, Study Bible, which ended up being the MacArthur Bible Commentary because the Charismatics owned the, the good translation. And they did not want to allow us to publish the MacArthur Study Bible, where MacArthur's notes, you know, are not in agreement with their view on tongues and things like that. So uh, they wanted me to run all our money through the school for this project, but they didn't want me to be officially a part of the school. They just wanted me to 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 be on the fine, the fundraising committee of the school, which I told them no, and and uh, and they wanted our money and me to teach a few things and lead the and the the president wanted me to lead the church plant, but not the son, and so. It was unfortunate, but by the grace of God, there were seven students, and these were the men that I invested in. And what is so amazing is that four of these guys are now pastors. Two of those guys played, ended up being a Judas. One of the guy on the far right or far left ended up not being in ministry. He's a faithful man, but he just said, I don't really feel called to be a pastor. But the guy on the right is now leading our publishing ministry in the Czech Republic. Uh, the young, dark-haired man in the middle, in the towards the back, was, is his associate pastor, which maybe today or next week becomes the senior pastor of that church, which is our extension campus of our Bible Institute. The guy behind, in the very dead center in the back, he's a he's a pastor of a church, and the guy in the like the dark sweatshirt, he's also he's an associate pastor, and they're faithful men. Uh, and I never knew that God was going to use that one year to, for me to disciple these guys that year and teach them and to build relationships for them that we would partner together in the future. So the Lord, through all these trials, was laying a foundation for us to come to where we are now, which is the town Kromijis, where you see the, the blue, the purple arrow. So this was all in our first six years of ministry, seven years of ministry. So we're just bumped around and beat up a little bit. But the Lord was preparing us and teaching us things that we could have never learned without all that stuff. And so when we were coming to Kromyges, we were told not to go to Kromyges. One of the Baptist leaders said, Lance, that church has 10 generals and no army. These people have been fighting together for 10 or 12 years. 
And, uh, and if you go there, it's going to be like that four years where you were in Tibor. And he said, I recommend you go somewhere else. Otherwise, it's going to be a repeat of that. But the difference was, as we had traveled all around the country, a lot of churches asked us to come and meet with them. But the difference was, was the young pastor who was there. And I wish I would have added a picture of him and his wife um, specifically. Uh, but he, he was about 25 or 26. He looked like he was about 18. He had no really previous training. Uh, he was, had no experience as a pastor. And he was getting beat up. I didn't know he was getting beat up until we got there. But he was getting beat up like I was in that other church plant. But he had a healthy view of Scripture. He was an evangelist and he loved the Word of God. He was influenced by an organization, Word of Life. It was heavy on discipleship and things. And so that's all he knew. He, he spent some summers there at their camps or something. And so he asked us to come and partner together. And so we did, because I told Sandy, you know, with his view of Scripture, and he seems like a teachable young guy, I believe that God can do something here. And God has done it far abundantly above and beyond all we could have ever imagined uh, in, the, in this church. And so we went to this church of about 20-some people, and we said, well, we'll wait a year to establish an eldership because I don't want people to say I'm coming to establish my own American kingdom, like you know, the Baptist president accused me of and other people. So I said, hey, let's wait a year. We won't try to establish an eldership because there was no elders, there was no deacons, it was this young pastor. But by the grace of God, when I was up pastoring in that church where the Blue Arrow is, I would travel down and help do teaching and preaching because there was a couple years they didn't have a pastor. And so I already had a relationship with the people in the church. And so after about eight or nine months after we got there, there were so many problems. There was people living in adultery that were living in the church building. They owed the church thousands of dollars in rent or uh, utilities and things. And people were literally attacking the pastor publicly in the worship services and things. And he's like, Lance, he said, we need elders because people should be under, you know, people need to enter church discipline while all the stuff that's going on. I'm like, I agree, but like, I can't say, you know, like make me an elder and this guy or not that guy. And so, um, so he led the charge. He was preaching through Titus. He was preaching on biblical eldership and things. And so the church that day, voted to end congregational role and establish a biblical eldership. And so the first thing we did, as I said, we first of all needed a doctrinal statement and a church constitution because the church was 80 years old and never had those doc documents of their own. The denomination had stuff, but not that local church. And so uh, over the next couple months, uh, the one family entered church discipline because of their a whole list of sins that they were not willing to repent of. And then the main guy who was attacking him during services left the church. And both of those families left about the same, I think the same week. And literally the next Sunday was like flipping a switch. Like former members were there visiting. New people were in attendance. People started to get saved and baptized. And so we went from a number of about 18 to what it is today. And so God was very gracious to help us see, you know, to lead the church through these tribulational times in the history of this church. One, one of the former pastors tried to lead the church out of the Baptist denomination into the Seventh-day Adventist and just a whole history of things like this. And so uh, we praise the Lord for what He's done in this church. And uh, here's a picture of the church building. I'll show you a picture of the church, which are the people in a little bit. Uh, but the church is no longer a Baptist church. And you see the title of the church here, the Biblical Fellowship of Christians, Chromies. Uh, and so... The first several years of the church, we were just trying to bring stability because of all the turmoil the church had faced. And so uh, <clears throat> we just focused on trying to disciple men in the church, and I was trying to pour into the pastor. And 
and just see the church stabilized. Uh, and so once that took place, and during this time, I had already started our publishing ministry. When I was leaving Pelzimo, where we were teaching in that Bible school that one year, I started a, an organization called Didasco, uh, so I could, which is the Greek word for to teach. I wanted to call it Sola Scriptura, but the government denied it. They said that type of work needs to be done through a church. And so we used a Greek term, which they wouldn't know, and changed a few lines, and they approved it. So, so uh, we established it as a teaching organization, and we've published now about 90 resources, and we've got about another 10 or 15 on the road, or on the way. Uh, you guys have helped us publish a book, as Terry said, and it's been a huge blessing. And I'll talk maybe a little bit more about that. But So I started that in 2008. And uh, which is the, the same year that we came to this church. And then in 2012, we started our Bible Institute. But uh, not long after we came to this church, uh, there, was a, there was a lot of, uh, there was a scandal in the Baptist Union. And this church was part of the Czech Baptist Union. And the president who, you know, said, I'm there to build my own American kingdom and really had a disdain for American missionaries. He actually called the pastor of this church before I got there and said, don't let Lance preach in the church more than once every two or three months. Don't let them have too much influence in your church. Just have them teach English and do evangelism. And so he was basically trying to undermine our ministry before we ever even showed up. Uh, but the pastor, you know, didn't take his advice and he allowed us to preach. In fact, he wanted me to start preaching through the book of Daniel. And I was like, wow, like in the Czech language, I'm supposed to preach through the book of Daniel. So, but that's what they wanted. And uh, that they wanted to be taught the word. And so, uh, but these ecumenical battles start, or, well, let me one step back. So problems in the Baptist Union started because this, this president ended in scandal. And he had to resign, and the entire leadership of the Baptist Union resigned, and they decided to have a new election. Well, when they did, the liberals won the election. And so the liberals, and even till today, are in charge, or leading the Baptist Union. And so it was a massive tragedy that the failure of some of these men uh, led to the leadership that currently exists. And so uh, I was preaching a couple years after these men became the uh, leaders of the Baptist Union. And I, I was invited to preach at a conference and the, the theme of the conference was Sola Scriptura. And I was given the title Sola Scriptura and Salvation. And when I was preparing my message, one of the, the young guy I told you who's our um, young preacher who's our publishing leader now, said, Lance, look at this video. And he sent me a video of the Baptist president at an ecumenical service in Prague where they were all coming in and there was a, there was a cross with a picture of Jesus on it and the, and the priest would bow to the cross you know, with Jesus on it. And the Baptist president comes in, he doesn't know what to do, so he gives it kind of a half bow. And then he'd up, he ended up reading a Catholic prayer. And so I asked the guy who was organizing the the conference, I said, do you mind if I talk about ecumenism? Because we know that that's a very explosive topic over there. Because uh, I, or there was an article in the Czech Christianity Day over there that said they were, they were proud that they're the, considered the most ecumenical country. And so I talked about it in my message. And then after that, it was like an explosion in the country. Uh, because the young guys who we work with are now young preachers started talking about it. And they started talking about it in the Baptist Union. And then, I mean... And previous to this, we already had conversations about the authority of Scripture and things because of different compromises and the liberal influence in the domination. But and we were on we went on like an eight year battle for the truth in the Baptist Union over ecumenism, women preachers, and finally it ended uh, with uh, 
Homosexuality. A church embraced homosexuality. They said it's an acceptable Christian lifestyle. And so, I mean, uh, and we, we, we were involved in huge ecumenical discussions and our church put a proposal for, uh, for the whole denomination to vote on to call for the Baptist leadership to no longer participate in ecumenical meetings with other denominational leaders where they would have worship together and evangelism and all these type of things. And we wrote it in such a way that it was all about the gospel. Like to deny the proposal was to, re- to lay aside the gospel and say we would rather work with the Roman Catholics to show a sense of unity, which is obviously a false unity. Uh, and I told the pastor, I said, if they reject this proposal, then I believe we should leave the Baptist Union. And he said, I agree. And so we led this, you know, it was a two-year I mean, we spent, we traveled the country meeting with churches and pastors, elders, preaching, conferences, all kinds of things. And we were defeated like 60 some votes to like six votes. And so I said, okay, I'm ready to leave. But the Czech guys are like, no, we can't leave yet. All these young guys, the pastor I was with, no, because people are coming in our direction. Like they're, they're, they're start, there's some people that are agreeing with us and even some churches. And I'm like, so I said, okay, so we didn't leave, uh, even though we said we we're going to leave. <coughs> and, uh, and some people were trying to get me to leave and split our church. I'm like, no way. I said, I've been, we've, we've, uh, we've seen the Lord do too much to just split this church at this point. Uh, we just need to keep teaching our people the gospel and teaching them sound doctrine. And I believe that they'll come around. And so the next, next thing was women preachers. You know, this church accepted women preachers. And then homosexuality. Actually, the church that accepted the, uh, the woman preacher is a church that openly embraced homosexuality as an acceptable lifestyle. And so they had a vote. The denomination had a vote. Uh, and they were not able to get enough votes to remove this church. They had to have two-thirds of delegates vote to remove this church. And they didn't have two-thirds of the denomination. And so about two weeks after this big meeting, we had our yearly faculty and staff retreat by the providence and sovereignty of God. It was two weeks later. And I was just waiting. I was waiting to hear if all these Czech pastors that we're working with are going to say something. They're going to take a position. They're going to lay forth a vision or a plan of what we should now do. And nobody was saying anything. And so I, as the leader of our Bible Institute and publishing ministry and things, uh, I always have like a, a message at our yearly retreat. And so I preach on the, on the church of Thyatira out of Romans or out of Revelation. And, uh, where Jesus said, I have something against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who uh, you know, is a false teacher and, and leads others into immorality. And so I said, we have a Jezebel in the Baptist Union, you know, and she's the pastor of this church. And G- Jesus said he had something against them. And I said, I don't want Jesus to have something against us. And I said, you know what? For me, I'm done. If you want to stay in the Baptist Union and keep fighting, you can, but I'm out. And uh, so I laid out my case. I preached this message. And I didn't know how the guys were going to respond because, like I said, nobody had been saying anything. But at the end, one of the pastors said, Lance, we agree with you. And I was like, well, praise the Lord. And so from that moment on, these men have been valiant, valiant warriors for the truth. I mean, I've been so encouraged by these men. And so uh, that, that vote was in April. And every November, they have a a representatives meeting where they discuss issues, but they don't vote on anything. They only vote during the delegates meeting every April. And so, uh, so that was in May when we had our retreat. And in June, I think it was, or at the end the last Sunday in June, our church voted to leave the Baptist Union. 
And then four other churches said, well, we want to join you. And over the next two years, we were just with the last church, the fifth church in June. We were present when they voted to leave the Baptist Union. So five churches voted to leave the Baptist Union. But these men, uh, two of those guys were in the picture from the students in Pelgimov are on the stage there. But we've been able to train all of these men in some level through our Bible Institute um, or by me teaching at that school or the pastor that I work with. We've helped him get more training. And so all of these men, these represented the five churches. We made this declaration together that we're leaving the Baptist Union. And then it was Battle Royal, (laughs) even more than what we had experienced before. And... You know, they tarred and feathered me as being the leader of this thing. John MacArthur is the leader of this thing and all this kind of stuff. I said, John MacArthur doesn't even know that this is even happening. You know, John MacArthur has nothing to do with this. And so then they're trying to say our Bible Institute, and they had already started a Bible Institute, the Baptist Union, to keep people from coming to our Bible Institute. Uh, One of the Russian pastors came up to me several years ago and said, Lance, he said, I was at a meeting with the Bohemian pastors, which Bohemia is a western part of the country, and we're in Moravia, the eastern part of the country. And, and he said they were concerned about the influence of your church, of your Bible Institute. So they started a school and, uh, to try to keep people from coming to our school. And um, long story short, it was very difficult. But these are the location of the five churches. The yellow one is where our church is. And then these other churches, uh, over the next couple months, to actually even this past July, or this past June, voted to leave the Baptist Union. And uh, it was difficult. And I told our men, you know, at that night when we had our retreat, I said, I said, we have to take a stand. We, we, we can no longer stay in the Baptist Union because we've, ar- we've already had a conference where the theme was uh, where we celebrated the 600th anniversary of the burning of John Huss at the stake. He was a Czech reformer. And he was burned at the stake because he stood for the truth against the, the, the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. We had Steve Lawson come over and we had a sermon on, or we had a conference where the theme was on the Reformation, the 500th 500 anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And we have our Bible Institute. We're teaching our students to stand for the truth, you know, be a warrior for the truth. And I said, you know, now it has come to our doorstep. And I said, it's your turn to take a stand. And so by the grace of God, these men took a stand. And so, uh, Anyways, we ended, these churches ended up leaving the Baptist Union. And so uh, it was a several, it was almost a two year process for our church to officially leave the Baptist Union. That didn't even take place until this February, this past February. It was almost two years because it was, it, was, uh, it was two years ago, June, when we first voted to leave. But the Baptist Union tried to do everything humanly possible for us to not leave. Uh, but this was our first Sunday under our new name. So you can see that we went from 18 people to what God was doing. And our church has been the fastest growing, our church was the fastest growing church in the, in the Baptist Union during all this time. Uh, and I believe it's because God was being faithful to his word. He was building his church through believers who were willing to be obedient to scripture. And so we had baptisms, we had new members, we had people, we have people driving from all over the eastern side of the Czech Republic. Some of these places are up to two hours away. We have people coming an hour and a half every, every week to our church who have become members of our church in a country where gas is twice the price they're here. And a lot of people, those people don't even own a car. And so it's very significant in what God has done. And uh, in the process, we, uh, God was using our Bible study through all this, or not our Bible study, our Bible institute through all this. And we established an 
an extension campus on the western side of the country in Lobositze, where our publishing guy is now is the senior pastor there. And uh, the Lord used the Bible Institute to further bring biblical teaching and training uh, to people across the country. And uh, uh, this is a picture of our of our teachers. Uh, it's half missionaries, half Czechs. And so I praise God for the group of men that he's raised up. And a year ago, February, I told our men, you know, we really need to pray because with all the, the slander that we're under from the Baptist Union, I don't know we're gonna, how we're going to have students in the fall. Uh, but this past year, we had the largest student body we've ever had in Kromizhiz. And then we had another 20 students in our extension campus this past year. And so we just praise God for what he did. In the midst of all uh, of the persecution and slander, because I had people from other denominations coming up to me tell me that the Baptist president was slandering our ministry to the other denominational leaders of warning churches, don't let your people study in the Bible Institute. And amidst all of that, we have the most students ever. And this past year, we published the most books ever. Uh, and, and now I think that we're maybe the leading publishing ministry in the Czech Republic. And I, we never planned that. Our, our goal was to publish one book and the Lord has done far abundantly beyond all we could have ever imagined. And now our church is planning a church up in Ostrava. Um, well, I don't know how many pictures back it is. Yeah, up just north of there, you can see Ostrava. It's the third largest city in the Czech Republic. And since there's so many people coming from that region, we're like, you know, we need to try to, we need to, try to disciple these people. So we started a Bible study up there uh, on Tuesday nights. And now it's turned into where we have so many people, we, we decided to have a, one Sunday morning service up there so people can worship there once a month on a Sunday. The other Sundays they come to our church because we want them to be discipled in a healthy church. And, uh, and we were there in June, and there was more people than there were seats. There were people in the hallway. And they actually called some people and said, don't come because there's no more room you can't even see or you won't be able to hear. So we found another location. And last week I got an email saying that there's pushing 60 people now in this church plant. And even since we've left, they say there's new people coming to our church, new people coming to the church plant. Uh, and right in this summer, right before we left, we had, we had an English, we had a, uh, English outreach camp for young kids. And we had 40 unbelieving kids from our city come every day and heard the gospel. And on Friday night, their parents heard the gospel. So even amidst all this COVID stuff, we were still able to have a, a camp. And then a guy in my Bible study, we had a Bible study at our house. Uh, he was saved out of Jehovah Witness cult. And we were going through the fundamentals of the faith together this year. And we finished that. And then I had the privilege to baptize him uh, uh, the Sunday before our, our last there in Czech Republic. And so had the privilege to baptize him. And then we were able to ordain a new elder in our church right before I left. It's a brother who was able to replace me. And now we have uh, two guys that are in the pipeline um, within the next one to three years. The church will, Lord willing, have uh, some more elders. And so we're just so thankful for what God has been able to do. And now I would say in the Czech Republic, what we see is, is a small reformation uh, of people 40s, maybe early 50s and younger, turning towards sound doctrine. We got people coming from Slovakia every month to our Bible Institute. Uh, we have people uh, from the Lutheran Church coming to our Bible Institute, asking us to come up and teach them and to preach in their conferences and things. And so God is doing amazing, amazing things there beyond what we ever could have imagined when we first launched out to the Czech Republic. And so from June up until right when we left, we was like a farewell tour in a sense. People wanted us to come and say goodbye, and so we went to Lovosice, and I took a picture of all the people there, wanted us to say goodbye to them, and we went up where the Lutheran brothers are. These men literally had tears in their eyes. 
uh, when we left. I didn't know they had that kind of affection and relationship with them, but dear brothers who just want to be, they just want to be taught the Bible. And people are coming to our churches and our, our Bible Institute and all the, these five churches that have stood faithful to Scripture, I believe God is blessing each one of them. Each one of them are having people traveling now distances to come to their church because they know they're going to be taught the Bible. They know it's not going to, you know, these churches stand faithful for the Word of God. They know they're going to be discipled. And so these churches are now experiencing growth. And Jonathan also, his church is experiencing an explosion of growth as well. And even through COVID-19, we've had people saved. We have a girl that's getting ready to be baptized. Uh, and people were finding our churches online because they can't go to their churches. And so a lot of churches, for some reason, didn't go online. But, you know, we were doing streaming. Jonathan's church is doing streaming and these others. And so God has continued to bless. And so this was our last Sunday at our local church uh, about a month ago. And it was, one, it was the most difficult thing we've ever done was to leave the Czech Republic. It was far easier to go than it was to come home. And then on the way to the airport, we were just supposed to stop because the five, those five churches were having a retreat together at the Word of Life facility. And we were just going to go uh, and say goodbye to a couple people because they wanted us to stop on the way to the airport. And I had to exchange some documents with some people. And uh, it was raining and stuff. And we said, oh, we're just not going to get out of the car. We're just going to say goodbye from the car. But one guy's like, Lance, I want to give you a hug. And another guy says, yeah, me too. So I'm like, okay. So I get out of the car and like, oh, let's, let's take a picture. And there was like one, two. And then it ended up this picture. And, you know, we're just like fighting tears and stuff uh, this, this whole last month or two, you know, just saying goodbye to people. But this is what God has allowed us to do. It's nothing that we've done. You can't point to say, oh, look what Lance did or what Sandy did, but it's what God has done. It's through the faithfulness of His Word. And our testimony is parallel to, I believe, what Martin Luther shared. And once he was reflecting on uh, what God did during the early days of the Reformation, and he was, uh, you know, with his battles with the Roman Catholic Church, and he said, I opposed indulgences and all papists, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's Word, Otherwise, I did nothing. <clears throat> and then, while well, I slept or drank Wittenberg beer, which we didn't do, but uh, with friends, he said the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The word did it all. And that's our testimony. And our praise is, is at the end of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, he says, Now unto him who is able to do far abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's our testimony. And that's what God gave us the privilege to do. It was a privilege of a lifetime. It was a dream to be able to take the gospel to a country uh, that... Uh, was atheistic country, churches ravaged by communism. Uh, our, the founding pastor of our church in Chromagies was killed in prison. And now uh, we see a thriving church uh, that's planting churches. We're looking to potentially plant a second church in the second largest city. Uh, and uh, we're seeing people discipled through our Bible Institute. Resources gone out. Our goal is to publish a pastoral training library so when we leave, we leave something behind that can be used to equip more pastors. And so I just want to say to God be the glory and to thank you for standing with us and praying with us. And God can use you. Maybe God would have you to go out as a missionary and take the gospel to a country that's never heard of Christ. I know that Terry would be, in the elders, would be thrilled to invest in you, to help you grow and to be discipled and equipped 
to, 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 to do a work in a country where Christ has not yet been preached. And maybe you're here this morning, you don't, know, you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't know why somebody would go and, and leave their family. Uh, people would say, you know, you're going to the mission field. Your wife's family is all Catholic. Her, her, her whole family professes faith in Christ today. You know, God can do things beyond what we can imagine. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, then you have no hope of heaven. Uh, you will stand in judgment before God one day for your sins and your, for your rejection of Christ. But I just want to challenge you this morning, if you don't know him, to talk to Terry or myself or one of the elders or a friend here to share with you how you can have forgiveness of sins, how you can be reconciled with a holy God and, and uh, have peace with him. And that's the only way we're going to have peace in this world. And we look on television, we see all the chaos. And it's not through Black Lives Matters or any of these things that, that people are going to be brought together. It's only through Jesus Christ. He tore down the dividing wall. He brought Jews and Gentiles together and made them one in Christ. And he can do that through you if you come to know Christ, have peace with God. And you can be used as an instrument to bring, bring peace to others and bring the gospel to some place in the world that is yet to know Christ. Let me close with prayer. Father, we just thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for what you've done in the Czech Republic and what you continue to do. I pray that you'd strengthen the men and women there. I pray that they'd be faithful to the Word of God. And I pray that you'd use this church to continue to equip and send out missionaries to take the gospel of Christ where it's not yet been proclaimed. And I pray in Christ's name. Amen.